Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bird's Nest Podcast. I'm Joe Donahue. Thank you so much for joining us today. Boy, do we have a great episode for you today. If you've been following Eagles or NFL news over the course of the past week, you know that earlier this week, Sports Illustrated released their annual NFL preview issue, highlighting all things football and the cover image and the cover story was all Eagles. It was all QB1 for the Eagles. Jalen Hurts graced the cover. And it's sort of our first look into who this quarterback is. He's been a historically guarded person. We all know the story of how nobody really knew that he had a fiance until his fiance showed up at the NFC Championship game. And who is this? It's Bry Burroughs. It's Jalen Hurts's fiance. What? Who are the, who's that? So it was a really surprising moment, and we don't really get a chance to look behind that curtain. He's normally a very guarded individual, but this cover story gave us the opportunity to do that. Everybody should absolutely check out this article, and we're joined today by the guy who wrote the article senior writer for Sports Illustrated, and guy who got to peek behind the curtain of Jalen Hurts, Greg Bishop. Greg, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. And you know, what's funny is uh, I am the opposite of that. All my friends would tell you they know everything about my life at every second. I can't hold anything in. And uh, I guess maybe the opposites uh, spark something in terms of depth. I don't know. (laughs) All right. Well, yeah, I'll get to asking some questions about some of the pieces of the article that struck me as I was reading it. But I wanted to first ask, how did this article come to be? What was the process like for getting this story off the ground? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, This one actually took a while. My first interaction with Jalen Hurts, oddly enough, was when I did a, a Tua cover back in the year after Jalen got benched. And Tua came in and the Alabama obviously won the national championship. And I remember being struck that day in like a small office at Alabama's football facility by like Jalen Hurts sat down to talk to me for that story. And I don't think he was like overjoyed to do it. But I noted in my head like, man, that that takes some real, you know, strength to be able to sit there and talk about the worst moment of your life and how public it was and why you still like Tua anyway, which is exactly how he handled it after the game. So I kind of kept that in the back of my mind. Then uh, I got back from Qatar last November. I had covered the World Cup through the group stage and I was looking for something to do, to be honest. And I noticed that it, that was the torrid stretch. Remember like Packers, Titans, am I getting this right? And there was one more after where they had a bunch of huge offensive games in a row. And I said, you know, maybe I should reach out to his people. I I know the clutch people fairly well, done quite a bit of work with them, you know, great group to work with, in my opinion. And, you know, we kind of talked about what it might look like. Uh, They were interested in the magazine piece in December of last year, but it's really hard in season because I won't bore your listeners with the whole thing, but there's there's a big lag between when the story is closed is what we call it, meaning it can't be changed. And when it comes out on a newsstand, it, when I started, it was 24 hours. Now it's 16 days. <laughs> and so it's really hard to project who's going to be that safe to write about in the magazine during the season. And so basically I, my response was we should do a great story. It'll be helpful down the road. 
And to the point of your introduction, I didn't know how helpful until it was, you know. And so then we talked before the Super Bowl. I've done our last nine Super Bowl covers, including the Philly special. And uh, he was really open and awesome. And obviously the story would have featured him a ton had they won. And I have to be ready either way. And that's when I found out a lot of the stuff on, you know, him telling Jordan to give me the F up, you know, when he got hurt in Chicago, that's when we talked about how significant his injury was going into that game, the Super Bowl against the Chiefs. And so some of the reporting comes out of there. And then, you know, we I was really pushing because this is the hardest part of doing these kind of profiles. You know, generally the interviews happen and generally the material is pretty good, but it's very difficult to get time with somebody where you can see what they do. And I'm, I firmly believe that character is action. And so it's always way more helpful for me to observe somebody than to talk to them. And it came up that he was going to Oklahoma for graduation. Somebody in his circle told me that that was a really transformative time for him, which I wouldn't have thought personally. I sort of thought it was like a one year stopover, like the best of a not great option. And instead, um, you know, I basically said, hey, can I come along? And they said no. Or he said no. And then a couple of days later, like 24 hours before he was going to Norman, they called and said he changed his mind. And I'm like, oh, OK, great. So I got two kids at home, one's six, one's almost two. And it's not easy for me to just blow my schedule and bounce like that. But I did. And I went out there and I actually had to fly to Kansas City and drive to Norman as like a five hour drive. And I got there right before it started. And the day was honestly perfect for me. I, I don't think him and I said more than 10 words to each other, but I got to watch him for hours, which is way, way more helpful than anything we could have talked about. And then to follow that up, you know, I, I had to go to the Emmys in May, uh, do some side script work for Showtime. We lost. But the next day I went down and saw him in Philadelphia. And uh, yeah, I thought that each time, this is kind of a long answer, each time I met with him, he got a little bit more comfortable. And we went from the first interview when he told me he appreciated my persistence, a.k.a. he wasn't going to answer what I was asking, to the last one when he told me I had good energy. We 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 come a long way, but it, it, to your first initial point, it, it was not easy to get to know him. And I would definitely not say that we're like best friends or anything like that. I feel <laughs> like we're just warming up toward, you know, like this could be something I he could be someone I write about for a long time. Great. Yeah, and that and that's certainly very poignant when it comes to uh, that whole guarded individual sense. The thing that comes to my mind, in addition to the, um, in addition to the the story of figuring out who his fiance was, the fact that a fan was able to snag a picture of his lock screen at training camp, which was him walking off of the field at Super Bowl 57 with all the confetti wow. falling down. And he was asked about it at training camp. And his response was pretty much, I don't want to talk about it. And if I had it my way, nobody would ever know about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mr. Hurd should know that the better he plays, the more kinds of situations like that he's going to be thrust into. But if there's one thing that we know about Jalen Hurts, it's that he can take something that he doesn't expect to happen and make something out of it. So I think he'll be okay. Yeah, I think so, too. There was this running theme throughout the article that I noticed about his needing to have to let loose periodically versus 
have being this robotic nature, this very meticulous nature, was that something that was very evident to you as you were interacting with him over the course of these many years now that you've been following him? Was that something that you found that you had to also break through in addition to just the fact that he's just a guarded individual? You know, that's a really good question. I've, this is the 24th one of these I've done on him, and nobody has asked me that yet. And you know what? I hadn't even really thought of it um, in like an overt way. But what you said makes absolutely total sense. You know, this is a guy that, yeah, I think that there is the danger if you're that certain and self-assured. And like, you know, let's just start with how many human beings are that self-aware? you know, to know how they're coming across, to change their leadership style even over time based on their standing within a team or in a locker room, to know what you want to target each season and who to go to and what to improve in. And I think, let alone, like, how many 24-year-olds are, are that way? I certainly wasn't. I don't know anybody in my life who was. And I think there's a danger to that, a counter that needs to be addressed that he has addressed, I think, at various points and will probably have to continue to. But you can be too programmed. You can be too prepared. Like, essentially, you need to find a plan that's not going to overdo it. Like, everything he does could be done to a level where it stops becoming helpful to him. And finding a balance there, not like a balance of, like, I'm going to spend the same amount of time every day reading a book and practicing football and meditating and hanging out with my girlfriend, but a balance of like, what, what will put me at peak performance, but not over. And I think sometimes what he's found throughout his career is that he needs to tip it a little bit back. You know, sometimes I write a lot of stories in a row that are real heavy, you know, the humble bus crash where all those kids died on a bus in Canada on the way to their hockey game Right around the time I wrote Tyler Holinsky, one of the first uh, college athlete suicides that really made big national news, you know, six years ago. And I just think sometimes that I got to remind myself, like, I got to have a little fun. You know, sometimes it got to be a story about something that's humorous or lighthearted or 600 words instead of 6,000. And I think that for him, he's found that he has to sort of mix that stuff in, you know, and you even saw that in Oklahoma, like I wrote in the story he didn't deviate from this itinerary, which is hilarious, right? He's just graduating from college and it's a master's degree. It's a big deal. But like, do you really need an itinerary for that day? And like, you know, I, I think there was a point where it seemed like he was kind of fading after meeting with the coach and he went and ate fast food, you know, like, and that might seem like a tiny thing, but to me, it was indicative. Like, here's a guy who's not afraid to change as long as he thinks that change is the right idea. And if he doesn't, he's not going to do it. And the really important part there in relation, I think, to his career is he was able to take what he already did naturally in terms of throwing through his work with the Eagles coaching staff and Adam Dudeau in California. And he was able to then take the robotic nature of how he prepared to play football games and turn it a little more into him, you know, like really let it loose, have more of a natural motion not follow all the rules. And I think that, among many other factors, was a very significant one in the season he had last year. Awesome. Yeah, and you you get that sense as you're reading through the article uh, that the time that he spent with Adam Dado and the 3DQB program 
almost seemed to sort of be that turning point for him. I was particularly taken by the fact that Adam invited Jalen over and put him in those sort of casual situations, put him in those sort of moments where there's not really a structure inherent to that particular moment. And they let's just go out and have a catch in the backyard. Things that seem so natural for people like us, something that he had to work on over the course of that time while he was down there. Yeah. You know, I, I think the their time together really speaks to both of them. You know, this is just my opinion, but I, I think the cottage industry of private quarterback coaches is given in general more heft than it should. I think there are a lot of guys in that job who don't really help guys a ton, but everybody feels like they should have one. I guess I would say some of them, I don't buy their expertise or the amount of growth they can get out of a player. But I think Adam learned under Tom House, and I don't think it's any accident that you could probably pick 20 starting quarterbacks in the NFL who have worked with him, you know? And again, they're looking for these margins, right? Like it might be a 1% gain, but that is where the best quarterbacks live. They make those gains when other guys do not. And to me, Adam was really perceptive of Jalen. There was a few things he said that I thought were really interesting. One is that their their initial phone call, which generally is short, and it's just like, what should we target? What do you want to work on? Where do you see your game now? You know, sort of like getting to know somebody a little bit before you really start doing things that are pretty intimate, like teaching them how to do the central thing of their job. Jalen's call lasted for 50 minutes. So that says a lot about both of them. One is Adam was interested in what he had to say. Two is Jalen had a lot of questions. I also loved when Adam said that there came a point when they were training together where Jalen said, I need to hear you less. And he meant to all the coaches, not just to Adam, but the idea was that he was he was understanding what they were saying, but he wanted to apply it in real time, in real drills, in real training sessions without hearing them, because that way he would learn it better. So he understood one, his own learning style. Adam understood that this wasn't a negative thing. And then they were able to come to the thing where he can learn the way that works best for him. And you know, I think when you throw all that together, like Adam realized, like this guy maybe could benefit from a little bit of, you know, more regular human being time. So he employs that and he makes it partly about getting to know Jalen, which, as we just laid out, is not the easiest thing in the world. And he also makes it partly about lessons in terms of throwing that I think ultimately helped Jalen a lot. And so to me, there's sort of a beauty in that, right? Like they are doing really subtle things and. You know, I don't know if I would credit 3D QB with like Jalen's turn, you know, star turn, but I do think that sometimes just unlocking a little bit here and there through somebody that knows something that Brian Johnson doesn't or Shane Steichen didn't or Nick Sirianni doesn't, you know, that can unlock so much more. And I think what you're seeing now is a guy that he got better at like understanding the Eagles offense first, then he got better at throwing the football. Now he's getting better at putting it all together. And my understanding is this offseason, he focused some on lower body rotation, which will only in theory improve his deep ball accuracy, his overall accuracy and how clean the ball is in terms of spiraling toward another player. And so I, I think that that all speaks to what we've been talking about. There's a lot of intention there. There's a lot of people involved. And one thing that strikes me about Jalen is he's able to take a little from Adam and a little from his dad and, 
you know, obviously I got him to pose. This was my idea, so you can hate me or love it. But uh, I got him to pose in a Fresh Prince uh, cover, uh, and his 90s soul comes from his mom. And I think that speaks to the self-awareness. How many people can take all these people in their life who are totally different, and some of them aren't even in football, and put it all together in a way that works for them? I think it's really, really hard to do that. And to me, it's why I wouldn't bet against him, you know, for as long as it lasts. Absolutely. Yeah, this is all really, really insightful and sheds a lot of light on why somebody like Jeffrey Lurie called Hertz at the NFL annual meeting in March the most mature 24-year-old that he's ever met. One thing that seemed to play into this, and this was something that you pointed out, and I was also caught a little bit off guard by this when it, when it was highlighted, was this idea of sovereignty. And when you kind of spoke to it a little bit, but Jalen Hurts met with Howie Roseman during the offseason, and the only topic was football topics. And it wasn't until Howie brought up, oh, we'd like to also extend you, that the contract extension came up. But he mostly left that with uh, his agent, Nicole Lynn, and Howie Roseman to do that sort of balancing act. As you were interacting with him, what did that idea of sovereignty what was your sense of this idea of sovereignty and how that meant to him? Yeah, well, this this will give you an idea of how my brain works. I'll just take you, you know, that day we're sitting in one of the offices in the PR wing at the Eagles facility. And when he said it, my first reaction is if I lined up 20 of my friends and I'm in my mid 40s, so most of my friends are in that same range. And I asked them what sovereignty meant. I bet one or two would know. And I, I'm not even sure that many would uh, like really understand the concept. But he used the word perfectly because to me, it showed his intention, but deployed in a different way. Like that's being intentional about not getting in the way. And to my knowledge, which, of course, is not you know entirely encompassing. He's only really talked to Howie about another player once. And that was with A.J. Brown, who's. You know, Jalen is the godfather to AJ's, you know, one of AJ's kids. And I think I think he knew that you see a lot of quarterbacks in my mind in the NFL who want personnel input when things go wrong. And I think what they're trying to say is that they think the GM is the reason that they're not winning, you know. And I think that's a dangerous game to play because I think NFL players do understand talent. They obviously understand the game. But it's not like you've seen a thousand John Lynch's going into GM roles and having a lot of success. You know, this is people are trained to evaluate in ways that are more clinical and less like eye testy and players. It's hard to fake something by them, but I think they can also overestimate things that they value, things that are intrinsic, like, for instance, you know, metal or toughness or, you know, just the things they'd like you know, make you good at what you do, but you can't quantify them in any objective way. And I think he recognizes, at least for now, that Howie Roseman's doing a great job. I mean, this is a team that, in my mind, should be favored to win the Super Bowl. And in most books, they're second favorite. And that seems totally reasonable to me, too. And it's not like they went out off the Super Bowl loss and didn't do anything. I mean, he resigned a million guys. He convinced, you know, older veterans like, Kelsey and, you know, uh, Cox and Graham to come back in the fold for another run. And at the same time, it had an awesome draft again, at least it looks that way. And so 
I think it's sort of, I would tab it as smart, you know, what Jalen did, but I also thought it was really revealing into him because I don't think many quarterbacks having the kind of year he did coming this, this close to winning Super Bowl MVP, finishing second in league MVP voting, and in both instances, losing to a guy that everyone's going to remember for a long time. And to be able to recognize that, like, things are going according to plan and it's best not to insert myself there. I mean, I just don't know many people like that. Absolutely. Yeah, the that last part there, he definitely seemed to have that plan, that that sure look forward. The line that gave me chills when I read it, I'm sure you've heard this multiple times in your 24 interviews, uh, but the the line when the Eagles staffer approached him right at Super Bowl evening and said, bro, you're a big reason we got here and you're a big reason we're going to get back and we're going to finish this thing. And you paint the picture, you paint the word picture really well. Hertz made direct eye contact, pupils ablaze, posture impossibly upright. He needed only three words to define the Eagles' upcoming season. You're effing right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love that for so many reasons. One is, it's very Jalen. You know, uh, he didn't love when I brought it up to him. You know, actually, the the conversation is, uh, I think, a pretty good window into him. So we're sitting in the office. This was the last interview. And I said, this is my understanding of what happened. You know, is it accurate? And he, he, he didn't say it wasn't. And then I said, what were you trying to do in that moment? And he said something like, this is not really questions for me. And I'm thinking like, dude, it's directly involving your actions. So I get that you don't want to answer it, but like that let's at least start in a place that makes sense. And then I said, what were you trying to, and then I said, no, no, I said, Hey, let's just, this could be off the record if you want. It could be on the record, but you don't really think you lost that game, right? And he paused for a long time, and all he said was, that wasn't the point. And I said, okay, well, what was the point? And that's when he answered it, which was essentially that he's demonstrating accountability. He's demonstrating that his mistake did play a role in the fact that they lost. I mean, it it was one of many things that could have changed that game. And I'm sure he's still upset about it in some way, but he knew he didn't lose that game. I I think he knew he would have won MVP if, you know, if we were talking about a three points difference. And the idea was like, even in your worst moment, can you send the kind of message that helps you get back and that helps you win? And that to me speaks again to the self-awareness because I think most guys would be wallowing. A lot of guys I think would be crying in that moment. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, uh, I think it would be hard for people to even process what had happened and being that really close to it, let alone be able to then send to your teammates a message. But there's another thing that I would say is really important in that calculus, and that's that he is an authentic person or or viewed that way by his teammates. Like, I wouldn't really know. I have like a limited amount of time with him. But, like, they have to be able to buy that. And if Russell Wilson did that after a game uh, as an example of a counterpoint, I don't think his teammates would believe him. And then it becomes counterproductive to what you're trying to do. And I think with somebody like Jalen, like, absolutely they believed him. Absolutely they wanted to win. And they said, hey, this guy can take accountability for, one, this very public Super Bowl mistake. But you, you look all the way back at the benching, you know, then why can't we do the same thing? And in terms of the culture he wants to create, I think it's a very, very significant moment. Absolutely. And 
as you were relaying that and as you were building upon that, it almost reinforced this idea that I have. So uh, Nick Sirianni has these five core values, connection, competition, accountability, football, IQ, and fundamentals. And as you're relaying that story, I'm hearing so many of those core values just seeming to be personified in this one quarterback, this one guy as he's trying to lift his team up after such a devastating, disheartening loss. Did Do you see any of that in him? Yeah, absolutely. And to me, it speaks to one thing that, that I thought was interesting about him, and that's that his relationships are all very distinct. Like he took the time to really get to know Nick Sirianni. I don't know if any of this, this might have been cut out of the mag, the main story. I can't remember. But, you know, he, they spent a lot of time together off the field. Like he really wanted to understand him and know him. Uh, he has a very distinct relationship with Brian Johnson because Brian played for his dad and Jalen met Brian when he was four and he even called him coach Brian because he looked up to him and respected him and, you know, wanted to like kind of follow him around. You know, I, my understanding is him and Shane did a lot of like real technical football stuff, which I understand to be Shane's strength. And, you know, you even saw with the game well play in the preseason, right, that that was a Shane play that they hadn't used before that they just dropped in, you know, and I think that, you know, his relationship with A.J. Brown is very much like brothers, but he also has a cool relationship with Devonta Smith because they played in college together. And, you know, his relationship with Kelsey could be like a book, you know, and I just think that I don't know that he targets like how they're going to be. He, for all I know, might let that unfold organically, but he's able to take information from these things to shape his future interactions with people in a way that works in the locker room. And to me, Kelsey's a good example of that in that like he looked at Jason for how to lead his rookie season. And then he looked for mentorship his second season. And then he took some of the leadership his third season, you know? And like, to me, that's a really smart way to evolve a relationship to the point where Kelsey to me is kind of his older brother, you know? And Nick's a great example too, the one you brought up because can you embody those core values? If you don't understand Nick Sirianni as a person, I think it would be a lot harder. And I think, doing that work and letting each relationship reach a place where it's distinct and its own entity in a way where like, you're the guy that can put it all together. I mean, to me, that's how it's supposed to work, whether it's, you know, podcasting, writing, quarterbacking, whatever it's uh, it's a process that I think yields depth and trust through vulnerability. That's maybe not present on a lot of teams. Awesome. And yeah, there's so many of those relationships, and you alluded to a few of them. Uh, certainly Brian Johnson being the offensive coordinator, A.J. Brown, and just so many, especially it, as you were relaying to trying to get some of those older guys, those tenured guys back for another run at the at the title, hopefully. It seemed like there's a really, really high degree of continuity in Jalen's life. How much of an impact did you get the sense that that idea of continuity had? Huge. Uh, in fact, I love the question because I just wrote a column yesterday on how the most overlooked aspect of his rise is continuity. It's not out yet. It'll probably come out the week of their first game. But uh, great minds think alike, Joe, because uh, it's the one thing that I didn't have a lot of space to devote to in the cover story that I think is consistently overlooked. You know, this is a guy who, and I know this only because I wrote this last night, 
you know, you're talking Lane Kiffin into uh, whom I'm missing into Mike Loxley into Lincoln Riley into Doug Peterson and his staff and press Taylor into like actual continuity for the first time since he was in high school. And Jalen himself has told me, and this is one of the few things he's sort of animated about that like continuity meant a lot to him last year. And he was real quick to note too, that like Brian will have his own imprint and that it's not going to be Shane and Nick's offense exactly again. But I think it falls enough under the boat of like, this is a guy who played for 8 million coordinators. Most of them he helped become head coaches or push into other prominent positions. And that is a lot harder than I think the casual fan might think, you know, uh, maybe they do know, but every time you learn a new offense, you're learning a new language, you know, it's essentially, essentially his last eight years, he learned eight languages, you know, or seven. And to me, like just being able to keep all that in your brain would be amazingly difficult, let alone go execute it, let alone go execute it against a bunch of 300 pound dudes that run four fives and want to take your head off. And I think that there's a lot to be said for that. And one of the things I think will be really interesting about this season, because people now have a whole Euro tape on their offense with AJ in it, you know, so you're going to see some defensive tweaks, I think, you know, the way that Patrick had to adjust as they started throwing more uh, too high safety at him you know, a couple of years ago and the way they had to change their offense in Kansas city to address the fact that defensive coordinators are good at their jobs. You know, I think you're going to have to see them make some adjustments again. And I think Brian will adjust based on, you know, his own philosophies. He's as young and hot shoddy as the other two. So I'm not too worried about that if I were an Eagles fan. And I think Jalen will have more of an input, you know, I don't, I don't think he's like going out of his way to like diagram an offensive scheme, but I think he knows what works. I know he had input on plays that worked last season, and I don't think it'll look the same exactly as it did. But I think having Nick and Brian back in the building, having it be their third year together, there's absolutely no reason to think that he won't continue to improve. Absolutely not. And certainly the reports that I've been hearing coming out of training camp show that he is taking that next incremental step. So it's, going to be really exciting come week one when he takes the field in new England and knowing a little bit more about this guy who has been leading our team for the last few years and who's getting ready to take that next step into hopefully getting us back there. There's obviously stuff that didn't make the cut and you alluded to the fact there's going to be more stuff coming out, certainly with your column next week and in other, I'm sure things that are forthcoming. How can people keep tabs on you and keep tabs on the quote unquote Jalen Hurts whisperer, so to speak? <laughs> I don't think he'd like that, but it's okay. Let's see. Uh, my Twitter, Instagram, all this stuff is either SI Greg Bishop or Greg Bishop SI. So that's an easy one. SI.com is one. And I have a few ideas cooking, you know, since I do the Super Bowl cover, I write both ways, a lot of different stuff beforehand. So, you know, I finished the piece on Jalen. I have written stuff on Fletcher Cox that I liked a lot that I'd like to repurpose and get out. Uh, I'd like to address uh, Jalen and AJ at some point, uh, Jalen and Jason Kelsey at some point. And my sort of pie in the sky Eagles dream, if people want to keep following is 
last year when I before the game, I went walking around the hotel with Howie Roseman for the Super Bowl cover story, and we had a cool conversation. And I was meeting with Mr. Lurie the next day, and I said, "What would you ask him?" And he said, "How do you? What's the secret to finding the right head coach? Because they made some really unpopular decisions, and most of them turned out pretty good." And then how he adds, but tell him how he said, don't effing say anything. And so I relayed that to Mr. Lurie and he didn't say anything. It was actually the only thing he wouldn't talk about before the game. And so <laughs> I have, at present, I have on my idea list, a mystery search involving a certain Jalen Hurts whisperer and of how a football team hires head coaches. So I may take a run with that this year. We'll see. Maybe we do it together, Joe. We'll see. <laughs> Well, Greg, that was great. And thank you so, so much for taking the time today. Really appreciate you having me. No problem. And thank you so much to everybody for tuning into the Bird's Nest podcast. You can support the Bird's Nest podcast by liking and subscribing to Bird's Nest Media on YouTube, as well as sharing to your social media pages. You can also find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play Music, Amazon Podcasts, and Spotify. And you can visit birdsnestmedia.com, where if you feel inclined to support more endeavors like this one, you can find the link to our Patreon page. Thanks so much for tuning in, and let's go Eagles!